So hello and welcome to the Vocal Advancement Podcast, a podcast for singing teachers by singing teachers. I'm your host, Tom, and this is Heather. Bonjour. Bonjour. And we are your hosts in this journey through the wonderful world of voice. Welcome, and today we have a wonderful interview with the lovely Mel Toy to share with you. And Mel has been um, studying, she's doing a PhD at the moment, and her focus is all on performance anxiety, uh, specifically for singers, which is a topic that I'm sure you'll agree is relevant to anyone that has worked with singers, because I don't know about you, Mm. but somebody who is, you know, fantastically talented at singing doesn't necessarily feel comfortable standing up and singing in front of other people, uh, which can be a real shame. And, mm. uh, and then you'll get someone like me who's not that talented, but doesn't really care and we'll get up and <laughs> sing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Mel, Mel had some really kind of wonderful insights as to, you know, what are the triggers and, and what is it that that goes on inside people's heads that might result in, you know, anxiety around performing. Yeah, it was a great interview. And it was, um, I think it's something that's universal. Some, we've all, if we don't suffer from it, we've suffered of it at some point. And there even, you know, you hear all these stories of these high performing celebrities that are, you know, panic ridden before they walk on stage to give a performance. So, you know, it, it, it affects people at all levels of their careers, whether they're, you know, they're just starting out or whether they're headlining Las Vegas, you know, it's a, a common problem. It absolutely is. And it's something that I think if you are a voice teacher, it's, it's vital that you understand it mm-hmm. so that you don't accidentally trigger, you know, a negative response from your students, you know, by accidentally saying something that doesn't help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the wrong wording at the wrong time can just you have you can really leave a lasting impression on a singer for the negative. You can, and without beating ourselves up too much, I'm pretty sure we've all done that at some point. I know I have. You know, said something when I look when I look back now and I think about it and I go, oh yeah, probably shouldn't have said that, or I probably should have phrased that differently. But you live and you learn, and that's the whole yeah. point, isn't it? Is that you know we never stop learning, and there's no point beating ourselves up about something we didn't know ten years ago or even you know six months ago. The fact that we know it now empowers you to start to utilize that information yeah it's all about growth isn't it learning as you go and learning how to help your singers more as you as you develop as a singer and a singing teacher yourself so yeah so this is a great interview and i uh, really hope you'll find it helpful and interesting so let's talk to mel So Mel, thank you for joining us today. We are delighted to have you on this call after the webinar that you did for us. And we're really looking forward to getting to know you, getting to know a bit about you and where your kind of journey has been and where you're going. So I was thinking perhaps it would be good if you could maybe start by telling us a little bit about your background. You know, how did you get started and how did you get started teaching singing? Yeah. So, I mean, my mum will tell the story that I basically fell out of her singing uh, like, <laughs> singing on kitchen tables is like a two-year-old sort of thing. Um, it was, it was, although in saying that it was a bit of a hickledy-pickledy journey. So I was doing a lot of uh, music and stuff when I was a child and a teenager. And then I moved to the UK. And when I moved here, I, I took a huge break. 
like a seven year break, but the itch wow. never left. So I, I actually, I like was in the city and doing all sorts of crazy stuff that was just not very soul fulfilling and um, made the call then that I wanted to get back into music, but specifically wanted to go into teaching singing. So, you know, like most people do when they want to teach singing, I was like, I need a degree. So I went to a contemporary music university in London. I'd never done contemporary music before, so that was super exciting. I genuinely had no idea what I was doing, so that was amazing. Um, and yeah, I did my degree. And then actually at the end of my degree, I was at like a crossroads. I, I started training uh, with IVA whilst I was doing my degree because I met a, an IVA teacher through the process who was just phenomenal and really helped me to understand my voice. Uh, and so I wanted to learn more about that, both to help myself and also I was doing a bit of teaching at the time uh, to supplement my income and wanted to be able to do that to the best of my ability. So I, then I started training with IVA. And I was actually at an IVACON, so one of the IVA conferences, that there was a Professor Graham Welsh came and mm. delivered yes. uh, a session on uh, the impact of uh, singing and development uh, and sort of how that interacts with the brain and neurology and things like that. And I was fascinated. And for me, that was where the crossroad was, because until I'd seen that particular presentation, I was going to look at going into musical direction. But I felt so inspired by this presentation and so obsessed with the psychology of it all that uh, I actually ended up going to do a master's in psychology after my um after my BA in music. So that was that was the turning point for me. And at wow. the point when I did that masters, the intention was to go on to do a PhD looking at performance anxiety. Um, so did did you focus on performance anxiety in your psychology no, as well, or were you looking at all sorts of other things? All sorts of things. So in the back of my mind it was always about uh, performance anxiety. That's something that I've personally really struggled with and something that I didn't understand. So I guess in some ways this has been like a selfish journey because I want to find out about it for myself. Why uh, not? But also for the people that I work with and like now as a lecturer and I see it in my classes and how having an understanding of it can actually help to get things moving in a positive direction. So um, yeah, so that's sort of where that journey came from. So while I was going through my master's, I was learning about all sorts of things. So like my dissertation of my master's was looking at the impact of a brain stimulation on the experience of emotions and music, which was that's <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Let's see, I'm, I want to ask all about that now. <laughs> they let me loose with like this brain stimulation thing, and I got to stimulate people's brains. That's so like, cool. No way. I know it's a little, it's a little like crazy. ethical ish, like guidelines gone mad there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was standing there. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna stimulate something. <laughs> if you start twitching, we got a problem. <laughs> Did you find anything useful from that? Has that kind of Im impacted your practice in any way? Are you? Do you yeah. use anything that you took from that? No, no. <laughs> it was just fascinating stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was to do with like uh, what the area that ended up being relevant was something to do with movement. I can't really remember now, but it was like something to do with the movement part of the brain was associated with it, which was very confusing. I, mean, I can't really remember, wow. but I got to stimulate people, which was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, so, and so now it's so the then PhD. you went on to do your PhD, which you're doing at yeah. the moment, right? And that's all focused on the psychology of performance anxiety, right? And yes. And so the term is performance anxiety, but in in the good old days, we used to talk about stage fright. Why has mm. that changed? 
I mean, I don't know if it's actually it changed. Changed. Change. I think in terms of the literature and the academic literature, there's a change in it. And it's now not just referred to as performance anxiety within our sector, but we have like specifically music performance anxiety, which looks at the, how it interacts <laughs> for musicians specifically. But there's still a lot of people who use stage fright and it still gets used a lot colloquially as well. Um, but then like there's other terms that get thrown around as well, like nerves comes up and that what that might mean for one person is different to what it might mean for another person. The same way as what stage fright might mean for one person might mean something different for somebody else and performance anxiety again. There are um, some, some academics who suggest that we should specifically be saying performance anxiety because by calling it an anxiety, we're referring, we're referring to it as a condition and a condition that requires treatment. Uh, rather than the colloquial kind of, oh, you'll be fine, you're just nervous sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. So at what point does it cross over from just having a little bit of nerves about standing up on stage into full-blown performance anxiety? Like, is there a crossover point or is it all just a spectrum of the same thing? That's it. It's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. And so it's super interesting because in the, with the participants that I'm looking at at the moment, I actually got them to try and define for me the difference between the three terms, nerves, performance, anxiety, and, and stage fright, because I wanted to see what their experience was with that. And a hundred percent of my participants said they've had nerves, a hundred percent. But I think like three people said they've had performance anxiety to kind of put it into perspective. So like, this is debated. Everything's debated. Nothing's solid. And I guess that's the kind of thing when you're dealing with psychology, it's almost like you, it's not tangible in a way. Like we can measure things to an extent, but a lot of it's not tangible. And it's, so it's kind of down to your experience. Uh, but like generally, we kind of think of it as less symptoms, which might be manageable through to symptoms that are not manageable. So like manageable might be like, oh, my tummy's a bit queasy or like, oh, I'm feeling a little worried about this, but I think I'll be OK to unmanageable might be a full-blown panic attack. Hmm. Um, and that can be really severe for some people to the extent that they just stop. They stop getting involved. And in a lot of ways, those are the stories that we miss out on because once they've gone, it's harder to find a musician who's no longer practicing than it is to find one who is. So we lose a lot of those stories in the research. Yeah, I guess when it gets to the point where singing is no longer fun that's yeah. problematic right mm -hmm. and that's like that's that's tricky that's tr super tricky because it it might still mean a lot to that person it might still be who they are i'm a singer but i don't enjoy enjoy it and when do i not enjoy it is it just when i'm on a stage or am i also not enjoying it in my lessons or am i also not enjoying it in my private practice and is that because i don't like singing or is it because it freaks me out and it makes me feel un unworthy or it makes me anxious or, you know, any of those things. So why and do you think, think some that, people oh, are uh -huh. more, sorry, interruption, <laughs> go on Tom, you ask a question. I keep putting in. <laughs> no, no, you, I was just, I'm, I kind of forgot what I was going to ask now actually. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll ask that. Why do you think, so why do you think some people are more prone to performance anxiety than others? Like Tom and I were talking before uh, you joined us um, and we were talking about how, you know, different people might have completely different reactions to the same thing. So Tom was saying, you know, as a child, he might be told to be quiet when he was singing and he'd take that like personally, like I better stop <laughs> singing now. 
Whereas I was constantly told to be quiet as the child and I just sung louder. So why do you think people respond differently? <laughs> and some are more prone to being kind of feeling like, oh no, this is terrible. And other people are able to just kind of brush it off. Yeah, so my images of you as a child right now, Heather, are just amazing. Um, it's a really good question, and there, there isn't a straightforward answer. So it's you know there is some of the research suggests that it might there might be generational trauma that contributes to it. So the stuff that even that person themselves hasn't experienced, but that their parents or grandparents might have done, and um, there is. It's not something that I know a lot about, but there is research at the moment that looks into the actual genealogy of that generational trauma. So actually getting passed down through the genes, which is mind boggling stuff. Um, mm. But then, you know, if we just bring it back to the person, their own childhood can have an impact. Uh, the family environment can have an impact. How much they tie their self-esteem and their self-worth to their singing can have an impact. Uh, what they want to do with it can have an impact. Do they want to be a professional? Are they aware of what the what the industry requirements are for that? That can have an impact. Um, and then just also just their general uh, levels of anxiety. So their kind of their trait anxiety, how anxious they generally are as a person, can also impact it. But you know, it's it's there's it's a huge variety of things and I, and I think that that's a really valid question and it's really important that we ask ourselves that and that our students ask themselves that as well so what is it that might be triggering this because the chances are it's probably not the stage mm -hmm. although negative experiences on stage can contribute to it the chances are it might not be that it might actually be something bigger something that's deeper and something that needs to be explored uh, but, but yeah, it can be very different for different people. Yeah, I do. I do remember a story of teaching about five or six years ago, um, a woman, she was 65 and she came in and she was the quietest thing you've ever heard in your life. And when she sang, it was just like whispers. And it wasn't until a couple of lessons and we started to talk about, you know, what's your experience been like? And she related the story as a child that her parents were ever screaming at her to shut up and shut up. And so she had taken this throughout her entire life that she was a terrible singer because her parents screamed at her to shut up. And that kind of really stuck with me. It's just like, you have to be very careful how you feedback to people when they're singing because how they might go away and take that through the rest of their life. And so do you find that negative experiences can manifest into maybe like anxiety and lessons when students walk through the door and how they react to you as a teacher? How do you, how do you find that happens with them? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. So I've had very similar experiences as well, actually, Tom, with people coming in very, very, very quiet, but who have always wanted to sing. And mm. I think that's like, that's the interesting thing, right? Like, even though this is terrifying for them, they still want to do it. It still means something. Um, I do see it happen and I try to circumvent it by allowing them to make mistakes from the first lesson. So I tell them we're going to make silly noises. We're going to do silly dances. Uh, it's going to sound crap sometimes. Sometimes it's going to sound amazing. Most of the time it's probably going to sound pretty crap. And we're just going to take all of that because in amongst all that crap, occasionally we're going to find a diamond and that diamond's mm. going to grow. Um, so trying to kind of create an environment where they can make mistakes and where there is no expectation for perfection and also trying to kind of create an environment where they feel they can try different things and grow and learn through the process, I find is, is quite helpful for that. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely negative experiences. One of my participants um, in my research at the moment, when she was an adolescent, she went on stage to perform at school and um, she'd done this like before and it'd been fine. But on this particular occasion, she went on, there was a group of, of girls her age at the back of the hall who booed her at the end of mm. the performance. And like this, this event, she like carries this event around on her shoulders. Like she couldn't wait to share it with me. And it came up so many times and we did a two and a half hour interview and this one event kept coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. So these things do make a difference. And, and, and in a way, I guess as teachers, it's our job to try and help them to mitigate that or to process it afterwards and to create an environment where they feel like they can come in and talk about that with us so mm. that we can rationalize it so that as much as possible, and this may not always be possible, but as much as possible, try and minimize the impact of those kind of events. Because the chances are it was a good performance. It was just adolescent yeah. stuff. Just kids are mean. Kids are mean. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Thinking about that, you know, when you're with, you know, you sit in the studio and there's a singer in front of you and they're maybe particularly sensitive to negative feedback. How do you as a teacher tailor your language and, and constructive feedback in a way so that that person receives it in the, in the way that you intend it, you know, in a positive way? Yeah, it depends on the student, but where possible, I use a lot of humor. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, it's all about the environment, like words and like body language probably more than words i think but it for me it's very much about the environment and the space so my room's very cozy i have twinkly lights all over the place and i have pot plants all over the place and i make jokes and we just have fun and it's very much about that so if i have someone sometimes i get someone who who's maybe not so humorous but everyone's got everyone's got a tickly bone there eh? everyone's got a little <laughs> bit of funny in them so it's about finding what finding the funny for them so that they can find the humor in the stuff that doesn't go well. I think, you know, if we can laugh at ourselves, then we're not crying at ourselves. I quite like that approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to we're, say, in the past few years, I have become far more aware of drawing the line between telling someone they got something wrong and instead kind of telling them to try something different. Yes. Because I found that in the past, you know, we all grow and we keep learning, right? But in the past, I was very clear cut, but nope, that's not, that's not right. Whereas now, I, I really do watch my language and say, nope, that's not the option we're looking for. We're looking for a different option yeah. right now. So mm -hmm. that it's less about right and wrong, more about let's just try something different. Love that. Um, because, because I've had because I've had students like that before who do like as soon as you try and ask them to do something differently they take it as a personal insult to their mm. own self-being yeah. which I suppose leads me on to I really like you you talked in your um your presentation to us about your other selves I don't mm. know if you could just describe that to our <laughs> listeners it just in a nutshell that whole concept of yeah. these different selves like split personality <laughs> yeah i know it, it feels like that don't worry guys it's you're perfectly normal <laughs> um okay so there's the idea that we have different different selves that act depending on the interactions that we're having so we have our actual self which is how we are how we perceive ourselves to be and how other people how we perceive other people perceive ourselves to be because we actually don't know right 
how other people actually perceive us, but we have our perception of how other people perceive us, which is a whole thing in itself. Uh, so that's our actual self. So we can kind of think of that as being the person that we actually are. Then we have our ideal self, who is like the shiny, glorified version of ourselves, which is the person that we would absolutely most want to be. Yeah. So Beyonce. Yeah. Beyonce. Yeah. I like the idea of being a shiny <laughs> unicorn. Yeah. I want to be a shiny mm -hmm. unicorn. The the problem is with the ideal one is that quite often they're out of reach. So we can have a discrepancy there. So if we're looking at who we actually are and who we who this ideal person is that we want to be, and there's a big discrepancy there, we can feel pretty crap about that. So we have to kind of mitigate the expectations on on that person. Um another one is the ought self. So the ought self is to do with who other people want us to be. Say so for example, I want to be a rock star but my dad wants me to be a doctor. There's a discrepancy there. And so we can feel those pressures from other people and that might make us feel a bit, un, you know, a bit crap <laughs> because of that as well. And then there's the feared self. And this is the, this is like the opposite of the ideal self. This is the person that we least want to be. Not only do we least want to be them, but we actively avoid this person as much as humanly possible because to be them would be the most horrific thing that could happen. Yeah, so Donald Trump. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Donald. <laughs> I know you're listening. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, this this is like the worst version of yourself, and and in a lot of ways, we actually move, we act to be as far away from that person as possible, more so than we aim for the ideal person, which is interesting in terms of behaviour. Some, sometimes that might be an alignment, you know, if I want to be the best singer in the world, then practicing is both going to avoid being a bad singer and also being whatever that is, and also, you know, working towards being a good singer, right? So sometimes that might be an alignment, but sometimes it might not be. And sometimes that say, might be just if those kind of goals of our ideal selves are out of reach, so, hmm. you know, you wish as a, you know, high soprano that you could sing in a deep rich alto and it's just not <laughs> physically possible mm -hmm. presumably that's when it really becomes problematic to their self-esteem yeah or self-concept is how they see themselves right so right. as a teacher you might hear them as being a high soprano but they might still think they have the capacity to create mm. those deeper rich sounds so then it's a process of uh, expectation management how how can we show them that that's still a very like a very special sound in itself and very unique in itself without having to try and go the other way? And what are the limitations on that? I, I think uh, honesty is quite helpful there, um, but in a way that's educational, not um, demoralizing. Yeah, I was going to say there's a fine line there, isn't there? Mm. Because the other thing is you don't want to knock someone down and tell them they can't do something. No. Like, you know, if someone tells me they want to come and, and audition for X Factor, I'm very careful about saying, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Because you just know that they're just going to turn into, like, the cheeky girls or something and then and prove me wrong and then suddenly they can. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or Jedward or whatever other novelty acts yeah. have gone through yes. that process and come out very successful. Never say never, but at the same time, you also don't want to encourage them to go and do something which could be damaging to their self-esteem. I mean, how mm. would you manage that? Someone comes into your studio, they want to audition for X Factor, but they're still struggling to match pitch. Yes. You know, what, what, how would you 
manage that. You don't hear that? I, I actually, I was going to write you. I was going to write to you because this came up in the in the presentation, and I thought about this for a solid forty eight hours <laughs> after <laughs> the presentation <laughs> because I wasn't satisfied with the answer that I gave to this question. So I think the trick is to work with their intrinsic motivation, right? So what is it that motivates them? Where do they want to get to? And can we can we help them to see the little things that they need to improve in order to reach that? Because if you're working alongside them, it's not against them. It's not a battle. It's not teacher versus student. It's teacher and student flowing together, collectively working towards shared goals, right? So if, if they're intrinsically motivated to be the winner of X Factor and they really want to do that, okay, great. But we need to look at the plan. So let's mm -hmm. let's look at the plan. You're having trouble matching pitch. Yeah. Have you seen those clips that they show of the people who go out of tune? Yeah, you've seen that. I don't want that to happen to you. And I'm sure that you also don't want that. And they'll go, I don't want that. They don't want that. If they can't hear that they're not matching pitch, then show them. Put them on a DAW, like logic or something like that and record it and show them pitch flex and show them how much it has to move to adjust their pitch. Show them on a, get them to match on like a, um, what's it called? A tuning my bobby, a tuning app in my bobby, yeah, for something or yeah. exactly. Yeah. Give them a visual representation of their pitching because they may not be able to hear it, right? That if and, and that's such a core thing that will get picked up on those those um, auditions. It's just it's not worth it for them to go in and, and hurt themselves like that, right? Then if they still want to go ahead and do it, okay, but maybe that's for experience. Maybe why don't you mm. go through the process this time so you get used to what it's all about and see what it's like and, you know, um, cut your teeth a little bit on an audition process. But in the meantime, we're still going to be working on your pitching so that you've got an even better shot at it next time. Yeah. So you're, you're working towards that shared goal and it's not you versus them. I think that's really important. It's we're in this together. We're a team. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, great. And they also, they, they might, they probably would then go into the experience with more of a realistic expectation of what the potential outcome might be from that, you know. So they're, it's, it's creating more of a positive experience around it. And you talked about that in your presentation as well, like the power of positive performing experiences. And so that, can you just explain to us, like, first of all, what a positive performing experience could look like and then how that can help a singer? Yeah, absolutely. So a positive performing experience will be one where they are successful and they feel they've been able to manage themselves. That would be amazing. So if you've got someone who's experiences panic attacks when they, I mean, I guess in some ways it's going to change depending on what their experience is. But if you've got someone who, who experiences panic attacks when they go on stage, a successful performance might simply be not having a panic attack or having a panic attack and still being able to sing. Right, depending on the person. If there's someone who, who gets a sore stomach before they go on stage, it might be, and that happens, um, someone might get crippling stomach aches to the point that they might be on the floor before they get on stage. And then they get up on stage and then it goes. Mm. The body is a very strange thing. Um, so it might be like a successful performance might be either that they go up and they haven't had a tummy ache before they go on stage, or it might be that they get up and they're able to sing through the tummy ache. And so they learn from that, that they can, it's all about boosting their abilities to believe that they've got the ability to do the thing. And right? would you set that as their target for them? So they understand that that's their success. Cause my worry is that they go up there, they'd sing through this tummy ache and then they'd still come back and go, yeah, but I sung that bit out of tune mm. and that wasn't as yeah. good. And, and they yeah. still pick on the things that need to be improved. Yeah. They might do that. 
they might do that. So absolutely, I think that's a great idea, actually. This is the goal. The goal is not to sing the most perfect song in the world. FYI, perfect doesn't exist. Just keep feeding that. Perfect doesn't exist. Perfect doesn't exist. It's not going to be perfect. Anything that goes wrong, goes wrong on show day. Just feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. Um, But let's just sing the song. And then also it's about creating the right environment because if it's the wrong environment, then when they get up on stage, they're not going to manage it. So what is it that triggers them? Is it that when they get up and it's a big audience, they freak out? Is it that they've got some kind of pre-performance routine that this is, I don't even think I talked about this in the the presentation actually. Yeah. So this idea that we might have like systems in place that actually encourage the anxiety. So if you've got someone who say, look, has a pre uh, pre performance routine that might be like, I practice for six hours on the day. Yeah. And I have to walk backwards around my house 10 times and I have to pat my tummy and, and rub my head and not eat anything for 48 hours before a performance. Yeah. And as long as I do all of that, everything will be fine. But then when they get on stage, they still have the, performance anxiety because this the that kind of pre-routine becomes a warm-up almost for the anxiety so it might be that a successful performance might then be breaking that routine so you're not allowed to practice for six hours before you get on stage today and if you pat your tummy and rub your head i'm gonna have a freak out so don't do that yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah just do some lip trills and get on the stage yeah do some jumps it's gonna be fine um breaking those pre-performance routines can be really actually Mm. super beneficial uh, for helping them to feel more in control. And then when they have those thoughts, because it might be that they do all that, and then just before they go on stage, they're like, oh, I've forgotten the first line. Or I've been singing the wrong note. Obviously, the first note's been wrong. I've always sung the wrong first note. You know, they might have these sorts of thoughts. When they have those thoughts, they go, okay, thanks. Thank you, head, for that, but I'm mm. actually fine. So, so having those thoughts and then deflecting them, but it's really hard to deflect them if you've followed the same process every time. And that's, um, I think for singers, actually, that might be something that's worth paying attention to, but also quite difficult to avoid because mm. there's a lot of singers who don't eat before a performance or do specific routines before a performance. And we, we know about it. So that's, that's, yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to, to look at. I think. Yeah. There's a, a documentary about Celine Dion when she was in Las Vegas doing her first residency and she, she goes onto stage at the very start of the show in pitch black and then the light comes on and reveals her and she has a reindeer bell that she must ring before the show starts. And if she doesn't, she tells you that the show will be, something will go wrong in the show, you know, the quick change will go wrong or her heel will break on her shoe or she forgets the words. And it's, it's just interesting that she's built that routine that she must ring this bell. And they talked about one day that she was in a foul mood because the bell had gone missing. Nobody could find this bell. So like she was, I can't go on stage until I've rung the bell. And it was just it was so strange seeing that level of anxiety from, you know, somebody that's performed thousands of hours on stage and TV and all that. And just in her head, that was, this bell was like her crutch before she went on stage. It was just, it was really interesting to watch that and see it. So yeah, it's strange I'm things so, we do. <laughs> I love that. Do you, I love that you, you told that story also, because so often we think that performance anxiety is something that happens to people who fail, mm. but it's not. It's something that happens to people all the time at all levels of success in in the music industry and Celine Dion uh, there's there's other stories too uh names are not my thing Barbara Streisand mm. that's the one. Yeah. That's, yeah. yes that was what I was thinking of and even um I know Jess Jess Glynn also uh has come yes. out and said I think Miley Cyrus recently came out and said that she'd been experiencing performance anxiety coming back from COVID 
Um, so, you know, we, we know about this. We know that Beyonce uses an, uh, a pseudonym to go on stage with a, a personality. Mm. We know that Bowie used a lot of personalities before going on stage. So, you know, these are big names. These are successful people. It's not just for people who fail. And yeah. that's super important to know. Absolutely. So, Mel, can you, so as we mentioned, like, you know, there's singing teachers and singers watching this. So what maybe would you advise a singer that's maybe just starting out in their performing experience to help them have a, a, a positive experience as they start out? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'm on the spot. Um, I think I would want them to keep checking in with why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And really work with that. Why are we here? Like, what what do you love about this? And, and make it about the things that they love about it, not the stuff that's wrong. Because I think, especially when we're dealing with technique, it can become really easy to hyper focus on the stuff that's not going right. Yeah. Rather than like, actually, this is amazing, and I love doing this because I love doing this because. And I think also like, I know a lot of us do this for you know just personally for our own space, but how can we involve other people? Because when we share singing we get some really positive mental health uh, benefits as well. So, you know, encouraging them to explore ways to express themselves outside of the lesson. So it's not all just about technique, but becoming uh, a singer in in a really positive way. If I've got someone who's really, really anxious right from the get go, then it's about helping them to build confidence little bit by little bit with the little things that they can do. Yeah, and helping them to reflect on it and encouraging them to reflect on how far they've come rather than where they want to go, Mm, which would be quite helpful. Yeah, that's great advice, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should plug my TED Talk here. (laughs) Plug it. Plug away. (laughs) Go check it out. My my TED Talk was called uh, Chase the Joy, Sing. Uh, entirely on the whole you know keep it in your mind you do it because it's fun Mm. forget about whether you think you're any good at it or not it's fun so do it yeah (laughs) love that that's philosophy on life you know (laughs) yeah we'll put a link to that in the show notes (laughs) yeah you should (laughs) i would watch it how did i miss it i need to watch that that's so cool so mel where can we where can people find you if they want to know more about you or perhaps get in touch for lessons where can we find you yeah so it's uh meltoymusic.com um so you can just there's a message thing you can find me there but i'm also on facebook i think i'm on facebook as melissa toy because i'm a rebel so i like to pretend i've got two <laughs> names but yeah they can find me at melissa toy on facebook or yeah www.meltoymusic.com Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes as well so people can find you. So I think we feel like a natural progression of, you know, I feel good about the conversation. I feel like lots of great advice for people to listen to. So just left to thank you for joining us today for this chat. And thank you for your webinar, which was was really interesting. I watched the recording afterwards once I was better and really enjoyed it and sat and take notes for my students. So thank you for that yeah thanks so much for having me very thought provoking thank you for joining us it's been fabulous it's been awesome so that was a really great interview i thought that was so helpful listening to her talking about that and just dispelling some of the myths about performance anxiety and you know the the language that we use when we're thinking about it you know what, what do you think you took away from it heather oh i mean i took a lot away from you know, Mel's class that she did, 
um, has really made me rethink some of the ways that I communicate with my students. I've been really careful about that in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I think it's just made me think harder, which which is always a good thing. I don't think hard very often. <laughs> so, so making me think harder is always a good thing. But more importantly, um, you know, we said Mel is originally from New Zealand, and I want to know what the best-selling biscuit in New Zealand is. <laughs> <laughs> because clearly we haven't spoken about biscuits yet today. And yeah. you know, last last episode, we were discussing the best biscuit for dunking, but now I'm intrigued as to, uh, you know, right, do a, bit, do, do a bit of a Google search for me, okay, Tom. What is... What best, is the best-selling best biscuit care. in New Zealand? Because <laughs> this is a very important question. <laughs> oh, New Zealand's top choice biscuit. Oh, oh, mm, that Ooh, sounds nice. On. The top choice is a Mallow Puff Original. Oh, sounds I'm, nice. Oh, I'm guessing that's got marshmallow in it, has it? Yeah, marshmallow chocolate and a crunchy biscuit, biscuit base. So that sounds like a, a Tunnock's tea cake in the UK. Mm, I do like tea cake. Yummy. But listen to this. The Go next favourite biscuit is called a hokey pokey squiggle. Oh my word. That's the best want... name for a biscuit I've ever heard. <laughs> I right. want one of those. If you are listening in New Zealand, please, please <laughs> send us some of those. What are they called? Hokey pokies? Hokey, hokey, hokey pokey ho squiggles. Hokey pokey what? squiggles. Mm. I must have one. Right, where, where are my what people in New Zealand? Come on. Um, what is Hokey Pokey flavoured cream? What flavour is Hokey Pokey? What is Hokey Pokey? It says Hokey Pokey squiggle biscuits are yummy vanilla griffins biscuits covered with a Hokey Pokey flavoured cream studded with Hokey Pokey pieces covered in dark chocolate <laughs> and a yellow squiggle. They're just making it up. They're taking the <sighs> Oh, I want one of those. That's now I'm getting hungry. Right, I know we're getting hungry again. Right, if you are listening and you're in New Zealand, uh, please explain to us what hokey pokey is. <laughs> and you know, if you want to send us a care package, we are mm. you know very open to receiving. <laughs> and equally, biscuits. if you're a biscuit business, we and want to sponsor our brand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we should so get sponsorship. <laughs> we mentioned Tonic's tea cakes. I mean, come on. <laughs> I can imagine my diet. <laughs> Tonic tea cake a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> We're trying really hard. Do you think whatever we mention, we might get sponsored, but it's not mentioning all the things that we'd quite like. <laughs> I need a new car. <laughs> oh, we can dear. but try. We can but try. We can. Yeah. No, but anyway. we're genuinely in this for like... The voice first, but maybe. The voice. It's all about the biscuit voice. Biscuit second. Biscuits yeah. are, you know, secondary to our interest in the voice. But I was going to say, Tom, we haven't actually said Mel's class that she did for us. We, you can mm. still download it's download it, or did you watch it online? How does it work? Yeah, so you can buy the recording of the class, and then you can download it for your own reference. So you can watch it back in your own time, and you can take lots of notes. I mean, I took pages of notes when I was going through that webinar. It was great. So you find that on our website, vocaladvancement.com, and go to the event section. And then because we're really nice, and because we, you know, we feel sorry for you listening to us talking about biscuits for 20 minutes, if you use the code IVA-podcast, you can have $5 off the recording price. Now, important question that we didn't clarify mm -hmm. last time. Does that have to be all capital letters? So all lowercase, 
All lowercase letters. So, All lowercase, so yeah. So it's IVA. Important details. Important details, mm. yeah. We'll put it in the show notes for you, but it's IVA-podcast. All lowercase. There we go. Get yourself a yeah, bit of money you'll off. Find yeah, and you'll find all the links that you need for that in the, the show notes below. And then you can also see what other great webinars have taken place and what other great speakers we have coming up. Yeah, because we have all sorts of people coming in. And if you can be oh, there yeah. live, it's even better because then you can ask your questions. Yeah, which is always we, useful. Have some, we have some really good speakers coming up later this year. It's a very exciting schedule. I'm really looking forward to it. I know. Not that we're in any way like advertising anything at all right now are we it's, it's not about no. product placement at all is it <laughs> <laughs> ding <laughs> hello <laughs> every time you mention tonics a biscuit gets its chocolate covering but more importantly, more importantly, it is uh -huh. all about education and learning new things, right? And we are... Yeah, but having um, a little bit of fun on the way because, you know, just... we don't want to be deadpan serious. We want to, you know, it's a chat. We're having a chin wag with a cup of tea and getting to know these people. So, yeah, so education, but fun. It needs to be fun. Absolutely. And and we have what else do we need to tell them about Tom? I feel like I feel like I've There's, gone completely yeah. off script now. Not that we have a script. We're not that organized. But we um, have some bullet points, but that's about it. <laughs> that's what we need to say. Who's coming up? Who else have we got oh, on, on yeah. our next episode, Tom? So we are every other week for our podcast. So on the 8th of October, we are talking to John Henney and we are grilling him for all his business. Chutzpah. Is that the word? Chutzpah? <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know if that's the right word, see. but I like that. Um, if that's offensive, I apologize in advance because, <laughs> but we're, we're getting to know John and everything that he knows about business, mostly for our own benefit, for our own businesses. But you will find it interesting too, because he had lots of great advice for he teachers. Did. And John's yeah. great. I love John. He's a lovely guy. John we and chatted I did for way, way longer than we expected to. We did. <laughs> You know, we, we set we set off with the task of of saying, you know, well, we'll try and keep the interviews to about half an hour. I don't think we've managed a single one to half an hour. No, I yet. mean, our editors might have done a magic job and cut out some of the digressions so that it ends up half an hour. So if they have, well done you. <laughs> yes, Stefan's a very patient man. <laughs> yeah, if not, these uh, podcasts are a little bit longer than we first intended, but still really interesting and valuable. Yeah. Yeah, and you get to learn about biscuits from around the world. That's a good point. Yeah. We want to know all about biscuits alone. We do. <laughs> this is going to be great when we come to conference. I'm going to put a call out to teachers around the world saying, please bring us a sample of your biscuits from around the world so we can feature them in our podcast. That's such a good idea, Tom. Mm. On it. I'll be like 20 stone by the time we finish recording a year's <laughs> episodes. <laughs> Americans uh, don't know what that is, so that's all right. They do. Americans are no, stone, aren't they? Don't they? Use it 14 or is it 16 oh, pounds oh. 14, I was right. Okay. I don't know what that is in pounds. Like 400 pounds? There we go. Yeah. Is it 14 or is it 16 pounds in a stone? Yeah, there's 14 pounds in a stone. 14, so I was 20 right. times 14, so that's what? 280 pounds? Is there it? we go. Yeah. I hope that's right. Otherwise, I'm embarrassing myself on this podcast. <laughs> There we are. Mission to <laughs> so, make Tom 280 pounds. 
Not money. Cash. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, Where dear. can people contact us, Tom? If you want to feedback, tell us all about your favorite biscuit. Uh, where can they get in contact with us? Yeah, so you can find us in the following places. You can, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave a comment down below. If you are consuming this on your favorite place that you find your podcast, you can send us a message by email, hello at vocaladvancement.com, or you can hit us up on social media. You can find us at Vocal Advancement and send us a message, send us your comments, your thoughts, send us your favorite biscuits from around the world. Um, or even if there's something that you'd like to see us interview, perhaps you can send us a suggestion and we can perhaps see if we can invite them along to have a chat about biscuits and the voice that's a great idea yeah mm-hmm. and as we mentioned that next episode with john that comes out on the 8th of october so how do they make sure that that lands into their device this is me yeah. so technophobe i'm like their device <laughs> their device. me it's my phone <laughs> i mean my podcasts are just on an app on my phone right yeah, so go to wherever you listen to your podcast too, whether that's Apple Podcasts, the bath. No, the bath. <laughs> I listen to the, my podcast in the bath. So I go to the bath and then what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Look for the button that says fun. <laughs> I think it's beside the cold tap. Oh dear. Right. To be but yeah, fair, no, the people listening to this probably know exactly what to do. It's just me that's a bit big do. and doesn't quite know. Yeah. yeah, they probably know. You, if you just subscribe to us, right? Subscribe. Can you subscribe to follow. us? Follow. Yeah, just look, follow go us. to wherever that's you find podcasts and then search for Vocal Advancement Podcast. <laughs> Click the follow button and you'll get notified. Or you can get on our mailing list and you'll get an email when the new episode comes out. Um, or subscribe to us on YouTube and you'll get notified when they come out on the YouTube channel because you get to see this in glorious Technicolor. Well, it's even better. You are watching this on YouTube. Just FYI, I'm not in my pajamas. This is a top. (laughs) My husband thinks I'm wearing my pajamas when I put this top on. It's blue and white stripes for those people who are listening. (laughs) I look like the boy in Snowman. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Anyway, we digress again. I think well, that's see, the yeah. end of our podcast, right? I think so. I don't think there's any time <laughs> left or any hosting space left for it. <laughs> so join us next time yeah. and we'll have more wonderful stuff to share with you. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Have a great one, whatever you're up to. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>